Welcome everybody today to Clanline Radio. I'm sitting here in the studio with producer Dan Guiney and guest today, Kenneth O'Sullivan, who doesn't need much of an introduction to the people in these parts. He's a former mayor of Clannacilty and councillor. But I have invited Ken to the studio today to discuss history. Ken is a founding uh, member, one of the founding members of the Ducas uh, Clannacilty Heritage uh, Group we have here in Clannacilty, a man with vast interest in Irish culture and Irish language. And we're here to discuss a very, very important part of Irish history, the 1798 Rebellion. But we're going to discuss it from a local angle. We're going to talk about uh, the events that happened here in Clannacilty and out in Shannonvale. And we're going to talk about a very important man called Tyg Anasna. Of course, one of our own squares in Clonakilty is named after that very man. So welcome today, Ken. How are you? Good I'm, I'm fine, thank you. Thanks, Ken, for the invitation. And my pleasure. And I know Ken, when he was mayor, he was always uh, make sure his hair was perfect for uh, many interviews. But it, being on the radio today, Ken, you didn't really have to worry about that, I think. No, I, I got a perm there about uh, a week and a half ago, so it's it's still holding, thankfully. Thankfully, it's costing yeah. us a fortune. <laughs> so, Ken, what, why are you so interested in, in history in the first place? What sparked your in- interest in, in, in history from way back? Well, I suppose, I'm as you said in your introduction, I'm a, I'm a native of the town here, Clannacilty. I went to school here and I've lived here practically all my life. Um, I suppose my own grandfather lived to be the, to the age of 90. Um, he was a man that read the paper religiously every day, as do my own family at home, um, and used to talk on occasions about the olden days. But I suppose another influence on my life was when I was in sixth class here in the local Boys National School, which is now the Paris Centre, in actual fact, the same school that Michael Collins went to school with here, here for two years. Now he was a year or two ahead of me at the time. But um, in sixth class in 1978-79, we had a teacher called Crohora or Conor uh, who ironically, uh, it was his last class. He had been teaching about 42 years, I believe, when, when we arrived into his class in, in late or in the September of 79, 78, sorry. And um, he was a man who had a real passion for imparting knowledge on, on his 42 students in his class at the time, and particularly history, nature, culture, and uh, trying to make us as young boys of 11, 12 years of age inquisitive about our environment, our surroundings, our history, and our heritage. And I suppose he left a kind of a, a real mark on me as a, as a young boy, uh, that uh, that has never really left me in terms of our history and heritage and our language and yeah, clearly can yeah. I mean, we we've all witnessed that, and your contribution to Clannacilty uh, historically as well as politically and culturally has been huge. But Ken, we're here today to discuss the 1798 rebellion. Um, for some of our listeners, can you just give us a broad a broad stroke about what that was? This United Irishmen Rebellion. Well, of course, the United Irishmen were founded in Belfast in uh, 1791 or 92 mainly by uh, Presbyterians and Protestant people, uh, upper-class people at the time, who believed that the the welfare of Ireland and the Irish people was best, uh, in the future, would be best suited if without British interference. In other words, if we had our own government and all the people of Ireland and their their, their catch cry was Catholic, Protestant and the centre, so it was a non-sectarian organisation about uniting people, irrespective of class or creed, uh, under the one banner and the one flag of of Irish men and Irish women. It's fantastic. It seems uh, it seems uh, something that uh, is beyond before its time, really. Well, I suppose you could say it was the the start of republicanism in Ireland uh, and and that philosophy, which uh, continues today to some degree. 
Um, but then rolling on to the year of 1798 itself and maybe putting the whole thing in context, the United Irishmen were building up uh, membership for uh, six or eight or years or whatever. And um, they decided in the year of 1798 to, to, to rise up against the British forces. Now, mainly the fighting took place in places like Wexford and Kildare, Dublin, a bit over in the west in Mayo. Um, Mead, I think, had a, a few skirmishes as well. Um, they were the main areas, but the only place in the whole of Munster that made any effort whatsoever was here in Clannacilty, just outside of the town in a place called uh, just beyond Shannon Vale. That's, that's fan- fascinating when you think about it. But Ken, let's take us back to another West Cork influence. 1796 in Bantry. Why did that have an impact on, on what was to transpire in Clannacilty? Yeah. So Christmas, as we all know, around Christmas 1796, Wolf Tone arrived in Bantry Bay with, I'm not sure of the actual numbers, but there was, I think, over 10,000 French troops. The intention was to invade Ireland, come in on, on shore in Bantry, and that they would join up with the United Irishmen in West Cork and throughout the country and drive the British out of Ireland, basically, at the time. Now, Unfortunately, storms and bad weather put paid to their efforts. But what it did do, it really frightened the the British authorities at the time, who saw how vulnerable that they were in Ireland, because geographically, the island of Ireland located next to the to Britain itself, uh, you know, an invasion from the back door would be a shocking thing for the British authorities and the Crown. So that was a failure, that attempted invasion of, of Ireland by the by the French, um, organised by the United Irishmen and, and Wolf Tone. So the the British heavily militarised the country after that to make sure that any, and particularly the West Cork area being our, west, our, our southern coast, uh, with loads of opportunities to uh, come in with ships and stuff like that from the continent. And where in Clannacilty can they militarise, you know, for our listeners now? Is there any evidence today of, of, of Well, that? all we have are, are written accounts, and the accounts are mainly by the British authorities at the time where they, they, they would have been writing down um, that they would have gone into villages and towns and townlands and raided houses. And there was a, I think there was a, a call for an, um, a surrender of weapons first, you see. And, of course, the main weapon of the, the, the Irish at, around this parts were not firepower, it was the, the crappie pike, uh, were, which were made by blacksmiths around, and they were two to a penny in, in those times because mm-hmm. of, of the nature of, of agriculture and stuff like that. But... Um, so the um, the British were frightened of the, the 1796 episode in Bantry. They heavily militarised. They went around West Cork and other areas uh, searching and plundering and burning houses and stuff like that and collecting weapons mm-hmm. and uh, were apparently quite successful. They, they, they claimed that they had collected over, I think, 800 pikes um, in, a, in, a, in a short few months in, in the spring of 1798. Um and by 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 I think mid May of that year, they claimed that they had basically, pardoned upon, decommissioned uh, the Irish, and 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 that there was no weaponry left in West Cork, uh, for uh, the purpose of a, of a rebellion. Now, when you talk about the British um, taking uh, arms up against the, uh, the potential rebels, can you explain a little bit to our listeners who actually was in opposition to the Irishman? Well, here locally, what, well, what happened, you see, is that uh, you had. Um, British, as in British citizens, would have been the the officers mainly from the Protestant faith. But in in many instances, the the foot soldiers were were recruited from Irish men themselves, and uh, 
here in Clannacilty in, in the year of 1798. We had based here in Clannacilty, we had the Westmead Militia under the command of Sir Hugh O'Reilly. And where were they based, Ken? Where were they housed? So they were housed in what is now the, the present Garda Barracks, which was built about a year or two before 1798 itself by the British, obviously, at, at the top of McCurtain Hill. And um, they were based there and their job was to go out into the country and search for arms and keep an eye on things and make sure there was no dissent um, by the by the local rabble or whatever. So um, they were the Westmead Militia based here in Clannacilty. And why the Westmead Militia? Was that just a name they were given to? Or were they actually from Westmead? Oh no, well most of the, the foot soldiers would have been from, would have been recruited in the county Westmead area and, and, that, and transferred here then you see, so they would have known no one. Uh, but that said, they were still native Irish men. Uh, they were all men, obviously. A, a lot of them would be Irish speakers as well, so they could communicate with the locals here who would have been primarily native Irish speakers with no English early. Um, so that was all tactical stuff, like, you know. It always amazes me, actually, when we look at any aspect of history, Ken, that you'll often see Irish men fighting for British forces. I suppose economics often had a play uh, to do with it and putting bread on the table. That's correct, yeah. But, um, so, one thing that Irish history has always been plagued by is spies. Did spies have anything to do with uh, this uprising? And yes, unfortunately, spies and informers, like, I suppose, the course of Irish history, really, down through the centuries, uh, had a major part to play. And we had spies and, and informers, in both sides we had spies and informers and United Irishmen who were giving information to the British authorities in local towns and villages. And you also had some of these militias, um, you would have members, say, of the Westmead Militia in Clannacilty who were liaising and had been sworn into the United Irishmen. So they were, they were in two camps, if you like, and they would have been out of loyalty to their country, giving the information mm. out to the, West, to the local United Irishmen. On the other side, the information flow from the locals into the camp, into the, the British, uh, the Westmead Militia commanders, was mainly by bribery and, and it was people putting money in people's pockets and that's how they, they got their information rather than any loyalty. Okay, so let's take us up to the actual battle. So you mentioned that mainly the United Irishman uprising was mainly held in Leinster. But Shannonvale, Clannacilty, this area was unique. Why was it so unique? Well, as I said earlier on, um, this was the only rising at all in the whole of the Munster area that we're aware of. So we're quite unique in that. And here in, in town, in the middle of our, our uh, Asna Square, which is called after the leader, Tygan Asna, there is a fairly imposing statue of a pikeman, mm. uh, which uh, commemorates Tygan Asna and, and his colleagues. And what do we know about Tygan Asna, this man who led the local uprising? Well, I must confess, I don't know, don't know a whole lot myself. He was a, an ordinary man. He was probably maybe 30 years of age. He was engaged, I believe, to a girl called Eleanor. Um, he was born in a place called Lacanaloha, which is maybe two and a half, three miles on the Timaleague side of Clannacilty, just off the main R600 road, the main road to Timaleague. Um, but he was the local recognised leader of the United Irishmen here in, in the Clannacilty area. Uh, so his name, his full name was Tygo Donovan and Osnaden. So like uh, McCarthy's O'Sullivan's, O'Donovan's, all those native Irish clans and, and families, to differentiate, there were so many of them, they would often tag on another name and it was often fairly descriptive. You know, you had O'Donovan Whale, mm -hmm. which we the bald um, O'Donovan's. This man's families were called the O'Donovan Asna and I believe it has based on the Irish word Asna, which is wide-chested, uh, mm. that they had a, a large frame, and I'm talking about the males now rather than <laughs> the, the females, um, 
And that's why apparently he got, they, 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 mm. they were called the O'Donovan Osnes to differentiate them from their other O'Donovan neighbours that might be just down the road. Okay, fascinating. So on the, the, the morning of the rebellion, what happens? What does Tygan uh, Osna do? So what happened, as I mentioned, the whole thing of infiltration and informers and information leaking from both sides was became a worry here in Clannacilty when the, the, the officialdom within the Westmead militia discovered that some of their troops who were based in the barracks in Clannacilty were seen out liaising with known United Irishmen here in the locality. So they suspected something was up. And what would normally happen in that situation, they would immediately move the, the troops to a different area at short notice and that's what happened here. So they would be, they would surprise them so that they couldn't get the word out to the, their fellow United... And some of these were sworn into the United Irishmen months beforehand. I think some of them were sworn in here locally. Um, so I think the evening before, it was announced in the barracks that they were to be moved at dawn and they were going to abandon the next town in from us here in Clannacilty, which was a wall town, a loyal town, and a place where any dissent from... The British side wouldn't wouldn't be looked favourably upon, and people would be fairly sussed out fairly quickly. Uh, but despite the short notice, uh, the word still got out from the barrack to the United Irishmen locally, and uh, Tygan Asna, whatever ways of communication they had at very short notice, uh, put out the word to his his colleagues to 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 gather. They gathered at Kilbury, which is uh, on the northeastern side of Clannacilty, about two 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 and a half miles out, and from there. Uh, before dawn, they went and they assembled at the Big Cross, which is about maybe a half mile north of Shannonville on the road to Belnascarty. So just to put it in context for our listeners, locals will know where that is. People who are listening from further afield, if we could just say to them, that's not exactly on the main road today from Clonakilty to Bandon. Why there? Why was that the spot for attack? Well, because at that time, Kieran, we didn't have the N71, the big road we have now from Cork to Clonakilty and on westwards to Skibbereen. The actual main access, the main road, came from the coast from Artfield, through Artfield, and then through Clannacilty and headed north, north, northwards towards Bandon. So if people are familiar with Ross's Street in Clannacilty, uh, that was then called Main Street. So the main thoroughfare ran north-south rather than the east-west okay. access that we have now. Mm, so that's why... that's so why. And the barrack was at the top of McCartan mm. Hill, uh, which was on, on that road as well, you see. So the, the Sir Hugh O'Reilly announced and, and the troops in the Westmead militia people were gathered up. The, I think there was about 100 of them approximately. And they were put out on the road and they, they, they started marching to Bandon. And they were to be replaced by a Scottish legion and the Westmead, or the, sorry, the Caithness Legion, um, who were a, a Scottish gr- group and totally loyal to the Crown. Uh, no dissents there because they were from a, f- a foreign country as well, of course, and, and they, they were real loyalists. So they, st- they set out at dawn, the um, Western Mead militia, uh, passed through Shannon Vale village, and five or ten minutes later, uh, at the Big Cross, which was, it's located, and, and it's a, a junction under, uh, there's a, it's obviously called the crossroads for obvious reasons, but the, all the land surrounding it is a, a high. So the, we are told approximately 300 United Irishmen had managed to assemble there and they, they, they were up in the, the hills behind the ditches and stuff like that, totally hidden, until the uh, Westmead militia came along, uh, headed up by Hugh O'Reilly, sorry, Hugh O'Reilly. At that point, I believe the United Irishmen were signalled to show themselves and they stood up from the ditches 
behind the ditches and Tygnasta apparently went onto the road, cut the reins of the horse of Sir Hugh O'Reilly and demanded a surrender on the spot. Within seconds, I believe, uh, Tygnasta was shot in the back by one of the Westmead militias. Um, the expectation at this point now was that some of the Westmead militias who were also in the United Irishmen would turn against their colleagues in the Westmead militia and join with their colleagues in the United Irishmen. And the battle, now whether that happened to the degree that they expect or not, I'm not sure, I'm not, I'm not aware of the actual details of that. But we do know that the, from the accounts that the battle was going extremely well from the point of view of the Irish, despite the fact that within the first few seconds they had lost their leader and their commander, uh, they outnumbered by three to one approximately the, the Westmean militia. But unfortunately, the tide turned when the Caithness Legion, the replacement group, coming from Bandon into Clannacilty, arrived around Balnascarty, about a mile out the road. They heard some of, they heard the, the screaming and the shouting, they heard the gunfire, and they, they, they sped, sped up their horses and their cannons and all the rest of it, and they arrived on the scene in the middle of the thick of the battle. And then, unfortunately, the, the tide turned because there was no superior firepower against the Irish, and the tide turned uh, fairly fast. And within a, 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 a fairly short period of time, those that were still left standing, the Irishmen, they, they, they fled the scene um, and of battle and the, the English had, the, had, the, had won the day again. And of course, you mentioned earlier in your interview, um, Ken, that, you know, uh, the Irishmen had been, de- um, their arms had been taken from the previous year or so and uh, Pikes was mainly their, 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 uh, yep. their weapon, uh, which would have been, uh, you know, very t- difficult to take on these armed forces. Yeah, of course, the crappie pikes, we're told they were obviously had a metal head um, with a kind of a spear, but they also had a hook. And uh, we're told that their their handles were made out of ash trees, about 10 to, 10 to 12 feet long. So if you can imagine a narrow road like the road that, that's uh, where the big cross is, and your fellas behind the ditch and the roadway, they could put their handles out over the ditch and the hook would catch the reins of the horses and, and pull them down. And then they would use the spearhead okay. to, so to was actually kill the soldier. Yeah, yeah. So it would be effective at, at close quarters, mm. but couldn't match up to guns and, and firepower. But you must remember, the firepower at that time was quite cumbersome. I mean, you fired one bullet and they'd be, it could mm. take five minutes to reload it and have it uh, effective again to fire the mm. next shot. But the muskets and things. But um, now they did have some weaponry, I believe. Um, there was a scully man from Artfield, whose descendants still live in Artfield, who has one of the, the muskets from 1798 that his ancestor would have used. And of uh, course, you can still see the pikes uh, today. And as you mentioned earlier, the square in, in Asna Square, we have the statue now of Tiger yeah. And one of those pikes, he's holding one of those aloft. Yeah. Isn't that right? Yeah, that's a, a replica one, obviously. Um, so, as I said, the, the battle was over. Um, those that, that were left standing uh, fled because they knew there was no hope of victory at this stage. Uh, the English had their victory. And then there was a, a lot of cruelty. Um, the message basically this, this frightened the English once again, a bit like the two years previously, that despite their searches for arms and despite the military, you know, the bringing martial law effectively in West Cork, that the bones of 300 people still managed to come and challenge a British regiment uh, going through, you know, just literally half an hour's walk from Clannacilty Town. So, um, the British, what they did, they, they sent out a message. They, they dragged quite a number of the bodies, we believe, from the battle site 
down through the main, down the main road, past the barracks and down to the bottom of McCurtain Hill to the market house, which is now um, the Sea Palace Chinese restaurant there at the bottom of McCurtain Hill. And that area would have been a prominent place because that's where a lot of trading and business was done. People would have come selling items and buying stuff and stuff like that. So the idea was to, they dumped maybe up to 20 bodies there uh, on the, the evening of the battle. And they were left there for up to 10 days, I'm, I'm, I understand. By which time, obviously, they weren't really very pleasant mm-hmm. either to look at or to smell or anything like that. And I'm sure there was, it was June. There was probably heat. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine the, the scene at that particular corner. And eventually people started complaining. And they, the authorities then loaded up the carcasses that were left onto horses and carts or whatever. And they took them down to the slob or the, the edge of the bay and dumped them into the seabed there where crabs and other other marine life would have feasted on them. And that place, that area is now known as Croppy Park and Croppy Key, which is, if people know it from the roundabout, the main roundabout in Clannacilty after you're coming from Bandon, uh, up the main, the main thoroughfare there. And hence the name Croppy Key in honour of the United <coughs> Irishman. <coughs> and so, Tyganas now, what became of him? Was was any of his remains uh, found by his relatives? So, Tyganas was one of the people, apparently, that, that whose body was dragged down to the market house and whose body was left there for a while and was dumped below in the in the slob in uh, what is now Croppy Key, Croppy Park. Um, we are told that his relatives managed to rescue um, the remains or parts of them, and and they secretly took them to Ballin Temple Cemetery, which is just near Ring Village, a couple of miles out of town, which was the, the traditional family burial plot, um, and, and he was buried there. Uh, in in you know within a, a fortnight of the seventeen ninety eight of, okay. of the, the battle, and Ken, um, you know nineteen sixteen has been a particularly great year for commemoration. Um, how were the United Irishmen commemorated locally here in Clonakilty? Well, back in nineteen ninety eight, we had a a very busy and extremely enjoyable, if you want to call it, summer, in terms of remembering the Battle of the Big Cross, and there was there were little there was an overall committee which was representative of other subcommittees in the locality, like Dara and Ring had a, a, a separate little committee. Um, there was one obviously in Shannon Vale, because, and there was uh, o- others as well, and, and local individual people involved. Um, and what happened, I suppose, we, 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 I was involved at the time, we started planning it. We had the town council at the time, the UDC, and there was a motion put forward about 12 months out from the, the centenary, or the bicentenary, that the town should remember uh, the Battle of the Big Cross and the Bicentenary year because in 1898, the town, the then UDC, was the driving force behind the centenary celebrations, mm-hmm. which, in a way, if you look at the broader history of Ireland, that was a significant event in raising nationalist awareness, which kind of led on to 1916 as well. It was after course, the yes. Fenians. The yeah. Fenians had died down a bit. Um, but this was a great occasion in 1898. In 1948, which was the 150th anniversary, there were still people living in Clannacilty and still are, thankfully, that were part of the committee in 50 years previously. And people that would have been as children and whatever would have participated in the events of 1948. So there was a public meeting called by the council and that was joined by other interested people and a committee was basically formed. Um, fairly broad-based, with the little subgroups and the little local areas doing their own thing because the people of Ring and Dara were extremely proud of the fact that Bell and Temple Cemetery is in their area and that's where the remains of Tiganasna are, are laid. 
uh, the people of Shannon Vale, literally, you know, a half mile from the battle site, and Ballinascarty, similarly, on the other side, uh, they were quite proud that the battle was there. And and these local community groups and uh, um, committees or whatever got together and they organised their own things, but the overall committee then worked with the local authority, the, the town council or the UDC at the time, and Cork County Council had a series of events as well. So we were all under one umbrella, but at a local level, things were done very well. Several plaques were unveiled to mark various spots around the town. So I mentioned earlier on the market house. There's a plaque up there commemorating the fact that the, the bodies were dumped there and stuff like that. There was a plaque unveiled in Crappie Quay and Crappie Park to signify the fact that the bodies were dumped there. There was cr- plaques unveiled in Shannon Vale. Tiganos's homestead, there was a, a little group there uh, had a, had a, had a, a ceremony and there was an, an unveiling of a plaque in his homestead in Lacanaloha. Uh, back in in June of seventy or nineteen ninety eight as well, and um, so anywhere there, there was anything, there was plaques unveiled to let the people of the town and the visitors know that this was a significant event in in our history. And then on the actual date itself, the nineteenth of June, I think it was a, it was a Sunday. We had a, what they did, they they what in in, in eighteen ninety eight there was a march from the battle site into Clannacilty into Aston Square. In 1948, they did the exact same. And in 1998, we did the exact same again. And there were some people in 1998, it was their second time to do it, they were actually part of the 1948 as school children groups and stuff like that as youngsters. That's brilliant. Um, And and people, the people, the older people at the time had great recollections. There was great storytelling and singing and songs that about things that we, you never hear them on the radio, songs that, were kind of passed down from mm. generation to generation about 1798 and Clannacilty and all that. That's fantastic. And there was a, there was a, a the, the Dara group then held the 1798 National Song Contest and they, they advertised us far and wide. They invited people right throughout Ireland, if you know, didn't matter where you were from, Westmead or Donegal or Clannacilty or West, West Cork, to write a song, an original song based on the this, the, the Battle of the Big Cross and, and, and Tiganossan and all that. And there, were, there was a great night in the Dara Community Centre. There was about, I think, 15 entries. And uh, there was a winner declared on the night. It was our version of the Eurovision, really, on a better quality. Oh, fantastic. Maybe <laughs> uh, we might get our producer here, Dan Guiney, to investigate that and uh, check if he can no, get I some of those songs. I have it. There was a tape made afterwards, a cassette tape. I know. Can that be actually reproduced onto CD or whatever I'm way sure you can? Sure can be, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So if you want, I can pr- provide you with that sometime if you'd like to play the, some of the winning song or whatever, you that know. That sounds great. I'm sure we'll have you back so, Ken. Listen, mm. it's been a pleasure, Gourmet Margot. Fall to it. And uh, thank you for uh, coming into the studio today. Thanks very much as well to Dan and Michael Holly for producing the show. You're very welcome. One thing I would like to say is that one of the big things that happened in this on the bicentenary is that there was families that they knew their great-grandfathers or whatever would have been involved or that their houses would have been burned or whatever, they got involved. Like So so we had relatives of Tygonosna. And then every year since 1998, there is, on the 19th of June every single year, whether it is on a Sunday or a Monday or a Tuesday, there's a little simple ceremony, a, a read is laid at Tygonosna statue here in the middle of town to remember that. That was traditionally led after the bicentenary in 1998 from onwards to led by the town council, which was then abolished. And... Um, it is now done jointly by our Dukas Clannacilty Heritage has taken up that mantle now and has been doing it for the last couple of years since the abolition of our council. Yeah, so and and the the local people that that were involved in the in back in ninety eight in seventy nine in nineteen ninety eight sorry, 
and the relatives still come to those. There might be only 20 people there some days, but or sometimes, but it's important to do it and we, we look forward to continuing that tradition. Well, that's great and I'm delighted that that tradition is being commemorated every year and it's great to have you in studio, Ken, to tell our listeners uh, uh, about this very important event mm. that happened right here in West Cork in Clannacilty in the surrounding area. So, Garmiel Magot. Falter Otterage. Garmiel Magot, Garmiel.